for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here. We're thrilled to be joined by Mike DeCourcy. He's a columnist for the Sporting News and he's been there since 1995. Wow, that's a long time. He's a member of the United States Basketball Writers Hall of Fame. And uh, as a studio analyst that, at the Big Ten Network and an NCA bracket analyst for Fox Sports. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining the Final Four on the schedule. Oh, uh, happy to do it. I love the name of your podcast. It's a really cool name. Thanks so much. It's a mouthful. It's uh, It makes it a little difficult sometimes for us. But, yeah, it's great. Uh, before we begin, I just want to remind people if you want to support the show. Uh, you can head on over to the Final Four on the schedule.com or if you're lazy, tffinots.com uh, slash support. You can find ways of giving one-time donations via PayPal or Venmo or a recurring donation through Patreon. All right. So, Mike, we're going to obviously talk Michigan State hoops and just college hoops in general. Uh, we've been talking for a couple years now about the transformation of the, the college game with NIL and the transfer portal. It's those have really changed things. And they seem to sort of at cross currents in some respects. You know, you have NIL, which tends to incentivize players to stick around a little bit longer. And so you have better talent at the college level playing. And yet at the same time, you have this transfer portal where you have players, the ability to move a lot easier than before without losing eligibility. And so you have less consistency, less cohesion with teams. What do you feel about the overall quality of the game with those two sort of, um, you know, changes battling each other? You know, I'll be honest. I I don't think that cohesion, I, I, I think that, that, we've operated under this myth for years that teams that have veteran players are somehow more together than teams that do not. Uh, that's a falsity. That's a falsehood. It, it, it's, it's, it's a fiction that uh, is romantic because it sounds great. Boy, if we have four seniors, five seniors, whatever, how great that'll be. What people don't always acknowledge or understand, and maybe that's because they haven't been close up like I have, is that no one has the same team from year to year, even if you have the same five players for four years in a row. Everybody changes. They change their games. They change their attitudes. And it's possible that from freshman to senior, your attitudes can get way better. Like everybody's like 100% on board now. That's a change. It's not the same team. It's a different yeah. team than it was the year before. Or the attitudes could get worse. It could be I'm a senior. I'm not a pro yet. I need shots to get the NBA to look at me. And so your team changes that way. Every team changes from year to year. Every team team changes from beginning to end. And so the idea, like, it, it's not that much work. We do it in every sport. It, the, I'm a Steelers fan. 
there are times in December when somebody will make a tackle and I'll be like, man, I've been watching these guys all year. Who's number 28 or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens because guys, you know, get hurt and then see, subbed in. But do I say, oh gosh, I'm not a Steelers fan anymore because I don't know who number 28 is. Where did he come from? It's, I, it, it's this thing that every time something changes in sports, we have to rebel against it. Uh, I, I'm, there are things that I don't embrace that I don't love about the transfer concept, but none of them have to do with the game. It all has to do whether it's the right thing for the player's education. As long as they're graduating. And I saw, um, you know, I saw a picture today with John Calipari from Kentucky uh, with the, the, Kentucky basketball programs graduates. Uh, there are four, I think, and there were three in the picture. And one of them was Xavier Wheeler, transfer from Georgia. He's in. He made it. The other, C.J. Frederick, transfer from Iowa. He made it. So as long as that's happening, I don't care at all. I don't. I don't care at all if if players change teams. Now, sometimes that's going to be for better, and sometimes, and I mean for the better of the player. They're going to get a better opportunity. They're going to get more spotlight. They're going to get to play in the show, whatever it might be. Uh, and sometimes it's going to be for the worse. They're going to get less playing time than they thought. Uh, they're going to like their coach less than they like the one that they just got done playing for. Uh, but they won't know that until they go through, you know, 20 practices or whatever. And you can't yeah. turn around and go back. But I, I just don't think it hurts the game. Uh, I, I, I just covered a Final Four in which... Uh, the most, maybe the literally most together team I've ever covered at the final four. I've done 33 final fours. I don't think I ever saw an, a team with less ego than San Diego State 2022-23. That team did not care who was on the floor. That team wanted to win no matter what. Uh, they, they played nine players. None of them averaged 13 points a game. Uh, none of them averaged 30 minutes, I believe. And they were as together as could be. So I don't buy that that hurts. I think that the uh, that the uh, uh, element of NIL makes it better. I mean, Hunter Dickinson's not a college basketball player anymore. If uh, and and since it's the Michigan State podcast, you could be happy that <laughs> he's still okay. a player, but he's not playing against you every time. Yeah. Uh, he, he's he's not a college player anymore without it. Uh, Oscar Shibway uh, certainly wouldn't have played this past year, and and he's probably going to play next year. He'd be gone. I mean, they, we're getting more quality players back for more time because what we don't see as much, we still see it too much. And I, this is where it really hits home for Michigan State. Uh, the 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 player who goes and takes first round talent and spends it on being in the second round, and that happened to the Spartans a year ago. That's the thing that that is bad for college basketball, but I suspect we're seeing it less now than we saw it prior to name image likeness. Do you, do you think like, you know, what happened in the big 10 last year, you had a, a lot, you could just say a lot of parody. You had a lot of teams that were totally reconstructed, you know, like Illinois, Ohio state. There's some teams that were, you know, mostly transfers or at least a large percentage of their players. Uh, do you think that contributed a little bit to just the, I guess the jumbled up nature of the league, or do you think that was just kind of just random sort of confluence of other factors? I think what it contributed to was the fact that it was as competitive as it was, because if, 
Illinois hadn't the ability to go into the transfer portal and and go get some talented players. Now, I think we all can acknowledge that there was not a great function on that team. But without the talent, they probably would have been a far under 500 team, both certainly in league and probably overall. So they did. Instead, they were highly competitive. Uh, Penn State uh, was able to be highly competitive and, and highly competitive in league play, make the tournament final, play UCLA, uh to excuse me play um texas to a tremendous second round game they would not have been an ncaa tournament a year ago so i i think i I think that that's what happened is that that concept allowed more teams in the league to be competitive and instead of it being a down year for the big 10 it was a highly competitive year that produced eight tournament pids could have produced could have produced nine uh and and it, it a very compelling regular season. Not great March performance, but that that they were not slated to have great March performance. They were supposed to lose all but two of their second round games, and they lost all but one of them. At this time last year, there was a lot of talk swirling. I think mostly the impetus was the move of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. You started to see a lot of discussion about the high major conferences moving from the NCAA, creating some new governing institution outside of that structure. I remember Jack Swarbuck from Notre Dame was quoted on that subject, that he seemed to think it was more or less inevitable at some point over the next, say, decade. Um, Do you think that's coming? And I know it's mostly football driven, but I guess the other aspect of it is if it does come, what do you think that means for the future of the NCAA basketball tournament? I, I think first, it, the, what you are describing, and I spoke to a number of people, um, high-level athletic directors, who fully expected around this time last year for the football element, not all the high major conferences, but actually – as it was described to me by multiple athletic directors, not just the high, not just the high majors, not just the Big Ten, SEC, Big Twelve, but also the other that play one A football, and they were talking about moving one A football to a separate platform. It really, in many ways, already is the all the NCAA does relative to one A football, and I'm going to call it one A. I hate that other term, one A football. Um, all that it does is playing rules, eligibility. That's it. It doesn't run the championship. The championship right. is run differently. So it really wouldn't be that significant a difference. But this is what I've argued for decades now, I think, at least 10, at least, at least a decade. What I've said is that what people don't understand and appreciate about the NCAA is it's it's number one service to the membership to the division one membership is the NCAA men's basketball tournament running that produces great wealth for the membership. Sure. That's number one. Number two, liability shield. Nobody ever talks about this, but when, when they were, when, when people get mad about something that's happened in college athletics, I mean, they don't go sue some low major school that, you know, is barely making ends meet in their Division One program. No, they go after the NCAA. So go ahead, take football. Hey, no lawsuits in football ever. 
and put that on a separate platform. And then what happens? Well, now they're coming after you. There's no NCAA and NCAA basketball tournament to, to, to shield the liability, so to speak. And so they're coming after you and what your football tournament makes. And that's yeah, that's exactly what you don't want. So I don't think we'll see this happening in a long time. When people talk about them all moving to a new organization, here's what they also miss. Who do you think makes the rules for the one you don't like? Who do you think makes sure that the rules that you don't like are enforced? It's the members. Well, the, so the members would go off and create another organization. What would it look like? It would look exactly like the NCAA. They might have headquarters in West Palm Beach so you get more sun if you go visit or whatever. But it wouldn't make any difference in terms of how sports are governed. This is what they want. So I, 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 a lot of people who talk about this, and not everybody who talks about this, but a lot of people who talk about this don't understand the concept. It's people who don't cover college athletics and the media that thoroughly and, and, and just sort of poke their nose in and say, hey, you know, everybody's going to leave. And sometimes it's coaches who don't understand, they understand better than anybody how to run a pick and roll, but they don't understand necessarily the enterprise in which they're involved. So just, just to, just to push back just a little bit on that. And I think that's a really interesting take. Um, The thing that you, you often see um, suggested in media coverage around this is that the fundamental problem the high majors have is that, or, D1 high level D1 programs is that um, they see their interests being outvoted essentially by the myriad number of school of smaller schools who have very different perspectives, very different needs. And a lot of these areas, you don't see that as, as something that's sufficient to drive the kind of move that people have, have suggested is coming. The autonomy concept, the, and, and how the Power Five became codified, it's nearly 10 years old now. I mean, they don't get to make the rules on everything, but they get to make the rules that they on, on everything that matters to them. I mean, that's where, uh, that's where for instance, uh, I'm trying to think of what the first big thing, uh, uh, cost of attendance. That was a, that was a autonomy conference rule. Now, they're not the only ones that pay it because all the other leagues said they're going to pay it. We got to pay it or we don't get any of those players. They're probably not getting very many of them anyway, but they wanted to stay competitive. So most of the schools chose to pay cost of attendance. But that's an example of a rule that they passed through as an, as the autonomy group. They, do they have full autonomy? No, but they have enough autonomy that they're not being highly constrained. I think they at times feel like they're being constrained in football. And that's why there was talk about that a year ago. But I was, I was really intrigued by how quickly that talk died. Uh, As we got into the football season, uh, we got into the fall and all of a sudden nobody's talking about that. And I'm convinced that it's the liability shield argument that led them to to draw back from it. That uh, again, it, 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 They sue in football all the time over lots of things. Uh, It's a it's a collision sport. A lot of players get hurt. um, And so you've got to be protected from that. And the only place to get the protection, there's two places. There's one right now, which is the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And then when they 
put into place the college football playoff as a legitimate tournament that generates much more revenue than it is now, then there will be that revenue. Well, as I said, they're getting that, they're going to get that revenue. And I don't think they want to just start throwing it out the window in, in defending lawsuits or settling them. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right. No, it's a fair, it's a, it's an interesting perspective. I guess one more quick uh, related offshoot of that. We've seen a, a lot of talking from high major associated people about expansion of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Do you think that's coming? I guess it depends in what form we're talking. I think it's going to be hard to hold back an expansion to a first eight, maybe, I guess, I, I don't know if we'd call it that, but the first four concept I think is likely to be doubled in size relatively soon. I don't know what the time frame is on that. I hope uh, that I never have to cover one of those. Uh, <laughs> uh, in turn, you know, I want the tournament to stay as it is. I've been doing the brackets now for Fox for four years. One, obviously one of them, there was no tournament, but then for the three years we've had tournaments. And as I've gone through those and, and reached fruition with the last three, I mean, they're just, other than the mistakes that the committee makes, like Rutgers this year, there aren't tournament teams out there that are missing. They're not there. Right. And, yeah. and it, what's happening is because there are, is expansion to extremes in in th- well, it happened already in the ACC, and it will happen soon in the SEC and the Big Ten. And when I mean extremes, I mean they're getting up to 15 members already in the ACC. There will be 16 in the Big Ten and SEC within a, a couple of years. Right. Uh, there, there's concern that there won't be enough bids for all those teams. And the reality is that the Big East's performance in 2011 shows that's nonsense. The Big Ten's performance over the last three years Nine, nine, eight could have been nine, three years in a row. And it would have been 10 if we had a 2020 tournament. It would have been minimum nine there. They would have had to stick it to Indiana the way they did to Rutgers this year. So that would have been three consecutive, four consecutive years of eight or more bids. How did they get them? They played good basketball. They won out <laughs> of conference games. No more complicated than that. SEC, eight bids this year. Why? Well, they played good basketball. They won a lot of games. Big 12. 70% of their membership, same concept. So I don't buy that you need to have another four bids so that the SEC 
which I believe is the biggest, uh, you know, our most ardent advocate of this. Uh, yes. So the SEC can get enough bids uh, that no play good basketball like you did this year. Two thumbs up on the SEC's performance this year. Loved it. Do it again. You'll keep getting those number of bids. You kind of alluded earlier to um, the big the Big Ten's performance in the NCAA tournament, and I think you know there's there's all, always a lot of talk about, especially the last few years, the lack of success in the in the NCAA tournament in the sense of you know national championship. I mean, the last champion was the Michigan State Spartans in 2000. That's 23 years ago. It'd be 24 years next year, uh, and so you know, is this a fluke? Is because the Big Ten seems to perform pretty well. I mean, they make plenty of Final Fours, number of national championship games as well. Just hasn't won the whole thing, but. Do you think it's like the wrong kind of basketball being played or do you think it's just a random sort of confluence of just, again, just random stuff that just is happening? I mean, in some cases, there's been bad luck and that happens. Uh, it can be bad luck like happened to uh, Purdue in 2011, I believe it was, when Robbie Hummel was injured. Purdue was in the picture, in the team picture of the best team in the country that year. Uh, Ohio State was really good. Uh, we ended up with a champion that wasn't the best team in the country. Connecticut was not the best team. They, right. they, they were the champ. No one's taken away from them. But certainly if Purdue had, had been able to go into that tournament healthy, they very well could have won. They did not. The, the bad luck could be a matchup like 2018. What did it take to take down Michigan State? That zone defense that Syracuse played. They played anybody else that was, I think, a, I think they the, the Spartans were three and they, and and uh, Syracuse was at six. Any other six seed, they win. They were much better. But the zone screwed them up, and Tom should have played Jaron Jackson more, and on and on and on, and they and they lose. Um, and then there's bad luck, like happened to Michigan in the 2013 championship game when. Trey Burke tracks down Peyton Siva on a, on a breakaway with a little right around five minutes left, and and rejects a shot, a re rejects a layup, one of one of the really great defensive plays that we've seen in the Final Four, and it gets called a foul because the guy blew the call, and and that and so instead of the ball goes to the spark to the Wolverines, excuse me, and and the game's favors uh, the final five minutes favor UM instead it's. It, it's more lead security for Louisville. So uh, bad luck happens. It's sometimes, you know, bad decisions happen. I mean, uh, I don't think that uh, that Matt Painter has coached the Boilermakers effectively in the last two tournaments. I just, you know, I, I, I think he's a phenomenal coach. I think he's one of the two or three or four best coaches in college basketball. But I think he's been too adherent to the idea of this is who we are in the last two tournaments, then we got to survive tonight. And then we'll worry about who we are on Saturday or Sunday. That's the thing that they've got to get to at Purdue. You're, you know, it's, I, I, one of the things I, I have theorized about the, the, the big 10 and I use a baseball analogy in order to survive in the Big Ten, because the competition is so deep and it's every night and you don't get nights off, many, if any, uh, is that you become like a major league pitcher who is a, has to throw fastballs and sliders, uh, you know, and you have to hit fastballs and sliders. So you got to tune yourself in to hitting fastballs and sliders. And then you get in the NCAA tournament and now you're seeing knuckleballs. You're seeing off speed. Mm -hmm. yep. And you have to react to that. And that didn't happen 
for the Boilers in the last two. So I'm not going to blame it all on bad luck, but I think when you look at the championship drought, that's largely what it is. I think when you look at the last three seasons, uh, the nine, nine and eight and, and no final four teams and relatively few sweet 16 teams and elite eight teams. I think that that's a totally different discussion. 2021, different from 22, different from 23. 21 was a failure. I won't even call it a disappointment. When you have a one that doesn't get out of the first weekend, a two that doesn't get out of the first weekend, and a three that doesn't get out of the first weekend, all at the same time, and the, and then your your other one goes to the Elite Eight and loses to a 12 seed or 11 seed, uh, UCLA, that's a failure. But the last two years go to a disappointment a year ago to this year. I think they basically performed as they were expected to, with the exception of the boilers. Just as a, a follow on to your baseball analogy, because I, I, I like that uh, as, as a descriptor of what's gone on over the last three years in particular, it's been our feeling. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast that, the Big Ten has been very unique in terms of its roster construction at the top of the league. You've had so many of these truly giant centers in a way that you have not seen really in any other conference. You know, Garza, Coburn, Edie, Dickinson. I mean, I'm missing some, too, in addition to the, the frontline guys. And it's been our observation that when when you have a guy like that, they tend to be the center of gravity to everything you do. And that can make it harder to throw those knuckleballs or to handle a knuckleball that somebody else is throwing at you. Do you think there's anything to that? Do you think maybe big 10 teams, at least some of them maybe need to think about roster construction a little differently to better position themselves for March success when you do have to be more versatile? I mean, I think that there's something to that, I, but I don't think it's in the area that you're talking about. I, I, don't, I, I think you look at a year ago and David McCormick is the best player for Kansas at the Final Four. Didn't get the most outstanding player of the year award. And I went back over the numbers because I was writing about Hunter going to KU. I, I read your article today. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, wait a second, this is even worse than I remembered it being. Because uh, I, you know, I knew Ochai hadn't had a very good championship game, Ochai Abaji, that was named right. And I, and like I went back and I'm like this is even worse than I remember. Um, no, I think the, the big guys still help you win championships. Uh, you have to have them. Now the na- the, you know, the specific nature of them. Uh, yeah, obviously Kofi. There were things he couldn't do well, and they had to work around that at times. Uh, and that's true for Zach. I mean, it, ball screen defense. Uh, how yeah. do you, how do they run that? Um, but again, two years in a row, you had a a center at the heart of the two of the championship team and in in UConn's case it was really two I mean they were 40 minutes of great center play uh, between Sonogo and uh, Donovan Klingon but I do think that you could use more dynamic wings and and again this is where you know Caleb Houston going pro after you know after a year and and not being a first round pick or and I thought he was a lottery talent and he wastes it on being a second rounder Max Christie hitting close to home should have played for the Spartans this year. If he plays for the Spartans, they're a different team. They're there now. They go from having uh, a great three-person guard core to having the best four-person guard core in the nation. 
and it's a difference. And it and and you're and you're maybe instead of losing in the Sweet 16, you're in the Final Four. It, it, I mean, it, I that losing Max and you know Max was a first team All America candidate if he comes back, and if he had been a the 20th pick in the draft, man, go. But go to be a second rounder. That's the thing that really hurt the Big Ten this year in terms of its March ambitions. They managed, like I said, because of the transfer portal and immediate eligibility, managed to remain a highly competitive league. But losing those three players, Musa Diabate, the other one from Michigan, losing those three players took Michigan down to a non-tournament team from a team that would have been a top 10 team and took the Spartans from a terrific you know, overachiever uh, down from a team that would have been, again, a top 10 level team down to a terrific overachiever to make the Sweet 16. So talking about Michigan State specifically as as we look at next year and and we're making the assumption for now, at least that Jade Nakins and A.J. Hogard are back. What do you think about the potential of that team, Hattie? And, I, and I'm not asking you to put them in a ranking spot because it's all you know, we see yesterday Hunter Dickinson deciding where he's going changes a lot of that around. Right. Uh, but but just overall, do you feel that they're a legitimate national title final four contender heading into next season based on how the roster appears to be set and and what else is happening nationally? Yeah, with those two players and then you bring in Xavier Booker to make yourself uh, deeper and more talented uh, in the post. Uh, at that point, I think you are a national championship contender, uh, a top 10 team. And I think any top, any team that goes in, uh, with a top 10 team, uh, with, uh, with a pro, a uh, future pro like Xavier would appear to be uh, any team in that circumstance is a national championship contender. I mean, remember UConn wasn't preseason, uh, number one, they weren't, uh, they, they were a, I think they came into the tournament as a four seed. I had them as a three. So they were, they were between the top 12 and, and top 16 teams in the country by the end of the year, not just the beginning. So I think if you're a, a team like Michigan state, that's going to be projected as a top 10, presuming AJ and Jaden are back. Uh, I think they have a great shot and they obviously have a coach who knows how to win in March, took out the dual big East champions. I think that's an underrated uh, achievement because Again, uh, we talked about the Big Ten and and its uh, lack of uh, achievement in March. Some of the story, some of the uh, narrative about that is from people who don't like the Big Ten. I mean, that's of course <laughs> you're preaching to the converted on that yeah, one. <laughs> I, but I think it's worth saying. I mean, I, 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 you know, anytime I I I defend the Big Ten just based on facts, and again, I'm not defending 21, and I you know, and and I'm being truthful about 22 and 23. Uh, but I'm also going back when people say they always lose in March. I'm like, you know, wait a second now. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we had we over over the course of the uh, of, of this century, we've had uh, more Big Ten teams in the final four than pretty much any other league. I mean, right, I, right. I don't have the exact numbers now because I haven't done them in a while, but they were prior to this season, more final four teams than any other league. I don't know right. if that's changed. I don't, I probably it hasn't because I don't think, I don't think conference USA has had that many final four. Teams no. the last few years. <laughs> no. So I think yeah. that's, I think that's still probably true. And, and, you know, they've been second in terms of victories uh, to, uh, to the ACC, 
But, you know, obviously the ACC with North Carolina and Duke has won many more championships. And uh, Kansas has won multiple championships. And then you also add in Baylor in the Big 12. So they, they've won more championships. But the Big 10 has been performing in the tournament up until this three-year window. Uh, they just uh, They just haven't been able to get that final game. Well, I mean, the, the league's had over that since 2000, so this century, six times the Big Ten has had a national finalist. Tom Izzo's got eight Final Fours himself, uh, seven of which have happened this century. It, it, yeah, it's a, it's a foolish thing to try to argue the Big Ten doesn't ever succeed. Right. Um, I guess it just depends as your ultimate criterion. Are you winning the championship or are you performing well? Are you winning regionals? That kind of thing. And those are maybe two different discussions. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I think if you define it only by winning the championship, then you could have a league with one great team and everybody right. else could stink. And is that a great yeah. league? I, I, right. Of course know, not. I mean, yeah. I, so. So, yeah, that's why I, I can't define it just based on the identity of the champion. I think maybe you get extra bonus points for winning that. But. It's about the collective, what the you know winning percentage, advancement, uh, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, et cetera. And then obviously you, you certainly want to win it. I mean, that's I, I know no one in the Big Ten is happy about that 23 year drought. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I made a joke uh, that Twitter didn't love uh when when they were talking about that and pointed out hey maryland won one and they're they're in the league <laughs> yeah so yeah. You know, i mean that's two i don't know twitter did not that's, love that joke we'll get we'll get a big boost in another year or so in overall national titles with <laughs> there, UCLA you joints. there you go <laughs> uh so uh before we hit uh rod's got a bunch of rapid fire questions to kind of close things out here but i just want to remind everyone uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can definitely see my awesome shirt. There's a logo shirt through Nudge Printing. You go to nudgeprinting.com. Super comfortable. This is the one I used to win the free throw competition, which Mike doesn't know anything about. I actually won trip for two to the final four this season at shooting free throws of the Breslin. Wearing these, these shirts. Uh, go to nudgeprinting.com. Final four in the coupon code to get 20% off your order. You can get hoodies, all sorts of Spartan gear, other Michigan schools, uh, high quality stuff. They were also instrumental in the Spartan Strong effort where they raised $155,000 for the shooting victims at Michigan State. Printing, I think, over 15,000 shirts. Uh, so check out Gabe and, and Brittany at nudgeprinting.com. And if you want to get this shirt or the hoodie, that you can go to nudgeprint, or sorry, go to finalfoursontheschedule.com slash merchandise, and you can find the link there and buy that and get any other stuff you want. All right, so Rod, I'll turn it over to you to, to hit Mike with a bunch of uh, quick questions here. To, to close us out, just some rapid-fire questions that you're uh... – a long time observer of, of the sport. I, I wanted to get your perspective on some of these things. What's the best college team you've ever seen? Uh, well, I mean, I think you have to divide that into two things. Um, one, the best college team I've ever covered. So therefore been in the gym with. Let's go with that. Yeah. 1996 Kentucky. Uh, they were ridiculously okay, talented. Uh, uh, they had, they had nine pros, eight to nine pros on their team. Uh, you're talking Ron Mercer, uh, you're talking uh, Antoine Walker, uh, Walter McCarty, Derek Anderson. It was a ridiculously talented team, and they were very together. They were great on both ends of the floor. Okay. Um, it just like, so you weren't you weren't quite at the in your sporting news position with uh, the 90, 91 UNLV group then. I was. Would you would you? 
Okay, so you would you would take ninety six Kentucky over those teams? Well, I I, I first um, I was not at Sporting News then, but I was covering for the Pittsburgh Press. So okay, I was at the Final Four in eighty eight and ninety uh, for the press uh, ninety one ninety two as well. Um, the ninety team was the ninety team. It gets uh, sort of a grace period because ninety one became so great. The ninety UNLV team was not a great team. I mean. By you know, in, in in the historical standards, like '92 Duke, '96 Kentucky, the UCLA, some of the best UCLA teams doesn't fit into the conversation. They lost five games that year. They were not yeah. favored to win the national championship. The '91 team, okay, if they win it, yeah, maybe we're talking about them. But they didn't. Uh, so no, yeah. you don't you don't get to be in this conversation if you don't win it. You get to be in the conversation. You get to be the number one team that never won it. Then that's probably <laughs> what the uh, Rebels are. That's that's my next question. The best team you've seen to not win a national title. Well, that's the easiest question because it's not even close. I mean, they are they are uh laps ahead of again in, in coverage. You know, you go back to 74 UCLA and teams like that. I'm watching on TV, I'm a teenager. I you know, I can't say <laughs> I really right. and I didn't totally understand Bill Walton, even though I watched him play and watched him do great things. I didn't really totally understand him until I got to be a pro and started to understand the game more. So I'd like to keep that, those kinds of superlatives to when I cover the sport. We don't understand Bill Walton's commentary either. So (laughs) (laughs) I still don't understand that. Uh, Best, best collegiate player that you've seen. So while in college, the guy who was best non NBA division, another easy one, because that is Christian Leitner. I did a book 20 years ago now, on the top hundred college basketball players in history. Uh, there'd be a few more, there'd be a few switched around from the, those 20 years, but 20 years ago, uh, Christian Leitner was ranked number nine. I don't think anybody from the last 20 years would top crack, would crack the top 10 and pass him. Uh, he was, you know, he's, his name is up there with Elvin Hayes and Larry Bird, uh, Oscar Robertson, Bill Russell. He's behind those guys, but he's in that category. A uh, phenomenal player in college. Right. Best Michigan State player not named Magic Johnson. Wow. Um, I'm That's a tough to... one for us. I can Again, tell you that. This is on his Sparty career and not Correct. anything after. Right. That's Mateen. Uh, Mateen was okay. in my book. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 don't think, I don't think I've ever seen a player who owned the game the way he did. Uh, it, it may be, you know, again, in my career of covering, which began in 88, uh, I saw a team players that were more spectacular, but he dominated every game in which he played at both ends of the floor. He was, he was tremendous. And I think it's it, because he didn't become a great pro. Uh, I think, and because he wasn't statistically great, I think his greatness is one of those things that could be easily forgotten. But Hey, when you talk about that 23 year absence, um, the reason it's 23 and not whatever beyond that is Mateen Cleaves. For sure. I actually just had this discussion brought up for the umpteenth time again uh, a few days ago. What people who only saw him at Michigan State and in the NBA don't realize is prior to his rollover accident when he was on a visit with Michigan, if you saw him and I don't know whether you ever saw him a team in AAU or when he was in high school, but he was robbed of phenomenal athleticism that he just wasn't physically in that same condition. Had he remained healthy? Uh, 
he would have been an entirely different player from even the one that we saw as great as he was. It's, it's really sad to think about because I, I remember seeing him win the state championship as a junior and he was, he was phenomenal. He was doing things that guys like Baron Davis did athletically. And you just never saw that at MSU and he, yet he was still great. Yeah. But I would say, you know, I mean, Bettine, who I know and like a lot, and uh, we did some work together on BTN, and he is, he is just an absolute pleasure. Um, I, if he had all that, what you just described, then we would be talking about a longer drought because he would not have been. He wouldn't have lasted four years. No yeah. way. No way. <laughs> no, yeah. I, agree. I agree. I think he would have been one and done, honestly. He was yeah. that impressive. athletically. So it changed well, Tom's, Tom's career and Michigan State's program. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think that's all I had, Eric. So, um, Mike, we want to thank you so much for doing this greatly appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I, I enjoyed it very much. Thank, thank you for having me. Oh, it's been absolutely all, all our pleasure. What's a bit good way for people to follow your work and to keep track of you? Yeah. Uh, at TSN Mike, TSN Mike on Twitter. Um, you can go directly to sportingnews.com. And I will say that and we haven't launched it yet, but be on the lookout for uh, we're going to begin doing an email newsletter that links to a lot of our top work. Uh, that's going to start relatively soon. It's in beta testing now. And there are others that do that. And it's a really cool way of having uh, the day's uh, articles condensed. Uh, the Today's test, for instance, had my article up that I mentioned about Hunter Dickinson uh, linked uh, to that. And so and that, and again, that's free of charge. That's the thing. I, I was speaking with a friend, an old friend at dinner last night. Uh, and it, it, if his, uh, his daughter is uh, getting a PhD from IU today. Uh, his, their daughter, the, the Marie and Steve's daughter uh, uh, is, are getting, they're getting, she's getting a PhD today and we were having dinner. And he said, I never run into a paywall on your site. And I said, that's because we don't ask you to pay. That's the thing. You get all our content and we cover, this is worldwide. We cover soccer. We cover NBA at a high level. We have many NBA writers. Uh, we have uh, college basketball with me. We have college football with Bill Bender, baseball with Ryan Fagan, uh, Vinnie Iyer on NFL and many other NFL writers. And we get all that. Everybody gets all of that for free. It doesn't cost you a dime. So sportingnews.com, uh, if you want to read that content, and you can follow me at TSN Mike on Twitter, uh, and you know, obviously college basketball, general columns. I'll be covering the Women's World Cup from home this, this uh, July. Uh, so all of that's available, again, free of charge. You don't, it doesn't cost you a nickel. Other sports sites, and I'm not going to say that, uh, I, that you know, uh, I'm not going to denigrate them because I pay for them as well. but. It doesn't cost you a dime to, to go to sportingnews.com and read all our content. Well, just like us, we're not behind a paywall either. We just there <laughs> we you rely go. our advertisers and our fans for supporting your show. So Mike DeCourcy from Sporting News and from Big Ten Network. We'll enjoy watching you again this season uh, in the studio. And thanks so much for joining us. The Final Four is on the schedule. And until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. Go green. <laughs> Thank you.